Welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. Now, I've got our next episode here, the deep dive into iconic eras, and of course, I had to do Regency. (laughs) My last Regency episode is one of my most popular that I've done, and thousands of you have listened to that, so thank you so much. I've had great feedback on that one, and so I thought I'd offer you all another Regency episode, because if we're doing iconic eras... It has to be done, right? (laughs) Now, this is also a fun collaboration episode with Izzy from What the Austin podcast. We basically are going to give you all a deep dive into both the history of Regency fashion, more from my end, and from her end, she's going to go into the sort of character design and how this associates with the fashion of Austin characters. And so it's a really nice little double up, both on the fashion of Austin's books and the kind of how big a part it plays in her and her character design, as well as how this merges nicely with the actual fashions of the Regency era, what it tells you about people and why it is such an iconic style. Because it is, let's be real. (laughs) Now, as always, head over to my Instagram at Silhouettes Podcast and I'll share a lot of lovely photos to connect with this episode as I always do. Have that double up as you're listening to this if you want. And I'll also share all of Izzy's handles and things like that at What the Austin Podcast. So you can follow her too and have a listen to her lovely Austin-based podcast, which if you enjoy as much as I do, then you'll enjoy it a lot. (laughs) But without further ado, let's get into it. Iconic eras, deep dive into Regency fashion. What was the thing that got you interested in Regency and in Jane Austen? Because obviously from my point of view, a lot of it was the fashion because since I've been small, that's the thing I've noticed. And I think like a, a lot of young people, I came across it first, Jane Austen's, you know, works in the movies because I was too young to read the books. <laughs> and it really was the fashion that made me go, oh, I, I like this. But I don't know if that's the the same for everybody else, you know? For me, the same. It was um, it was actually the BBC series. My mum um, used to play it when she was ironing our clothes. Um, so I used mm. to sit with her and watch it. Obviously, she had a lot of ironing because it's a very long series. So <laughs> um, yeah, we used to watch it together and I just, um, I I mean, I can't say for sure that it was definitely the fashion for me. (laughs) I think it was just like this other world, you know, some, I think for me, maybe it was the niceties in the fact that there were Mm. rules and everything, but then there were characters who were willing to step out of that and be themselves and be authentic. It was kind of, yeah, yeah, I just really, I just really loved that. And I mean, obviously all the balls and everything, it's, it is quite magical. Then obviously I, I moved on to the books and Jane Austen's a fabulous writer and she's just got such an understanding of people Mm. and for me at the time like I had like a fascination with people how people think and what are people's motives and I think that's very much at the heart of how Jane Austen writes as well so I think I just kind of (laughs) clicked and it worked for me and it stuck. I think it is the characters and the way she writes her characters that is what keeps her stories so popular I suppose I suppose popular is a word but you know they're all they're all so individual and they have you know their own ways of doing things and they have such strong voices I think 
that is definitely something that carries through like even nowadays you know it's these books are hundreds of years <laughs> old at this point but somehow you still find characters that you can relate to I think I yeah that's really cool yeah absolutely it totally translates and for now that's the thing like you said because the characters are so outspoken we can um, find similarities with them and like I said the being authentically themselves as well is like mm. super important I think and we can all learn from that yeah I suppose it comes from because obviously Austin had a really big family and was very close to her sister so that probably comes through in the characters she writes I wonder how many of them were based on people she knew and met because they do just feel very fleshed out and very real you know oh my gosh 100% like I definitely think they must have been taken from people she know I think her personality in general is very much um even if she loves something I think she has a need to like satirize satirize is that a word like to yeah, kind yeah, of take yeah. the myth out of it in a sense um so and I think she does that with anything I don't think anybody was safe no no so I definitely <laughs> yeah. think definitely think she would have been yeah picking on the locals and, mm. and they would have been characters I'm, I'm probably sure she had a neighbor who was similar to Miss Bates yeah probably <laughs> or like yeah she probably met a lot of different <laughs> types of people but I guess that's the sad thing is we'll not know because of her letters were burnt weren't they or they were destroyed or something. What happened? What happened to them? <laughs> yeah, a great majority of them were burnt actually by her sister. Yeah, yeah that was um, it. So yeah, there's a lot of speculation of obviously what may have been in them. She obviously was quite an outspoken person, so um, maybe it was political or, um, or it was about I think she knew. <laughs> yeah, probably it was all about the locals. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I mean, obviously we we can't know uh, what they were about. Um, I tend to think they're probably more about her love life and that's why they burnt them. But um, that's just me uh, guessing. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? But I guess that's part of the fun, isn't it? The mystery of it is just as interesting as actually knowing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think for me as well, I'm so, so drawn to the world that she created. Like, Mm. even though obviously it was accurate at the time period because she was writing about the period at which she lived. Mm. it's still for me because it's so distant and far away it, it may as well be a fantasy novel in the sense it's I a world I was just thinking I, that yeah yeah it's yeah. a world that I can't I could never have explored and I will never be able to explore mm. in that sense so um yeah for me I'm happy that it's kind of that external to me mm. um I know a lot of people really love um kind of trying to 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 live that time but that's just not something that's ever kind of appealed to me too much not yet yeah, anyway really. I mean I don't know with time, yeah, right. For me, it's a more of an escapism in the book as opposed to kind of wanting to live it out. Mm, that's interesting. I think that's fair, though. You know, and I think what you, I was literally just thinking, I've been watching Lord of the Rings recently, <laughs> just offhand because, you know, new TV show and everything. Yeah, um, the new show, yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking when, you, as you said, it's like a fancy novel. I was looking at some pictures just to help me with this episode and I was looking at it and I was like, it is almost like another world, like it is like a fancy novel the the visuals the consistency between it all is like it is just its own little bubble you know it's like it doesn't exist in our real world especially because it was such a short time period so obviously the regency era was only about 15 20 years which is quite crazy when you think about it Mm, mm. and it doesn't like really look like any other time period (laughs) in English history particularly you know it just has its own such a strong identity in all of it but I think particularly the fashion is probably one of the things that keeps it keeps it going but yeah it's fancy like almost it's interesting you said that yeah absolutely it's almost maybe because the fashion and a lot of like 
what people did in their spare time. I mean, it was such a time of like things coming out that we still love now, things like coffee shops. Yeah. You know, yeah. these are all like the kind of things that kind of like brewed from like the Regency era. And yeah, I think obviously it was obviously just like a magical time. And that's maybe why we all still escape into it now. Yeah. And it was just, it, it happened so quickly and was gone just as soon as it came, you know, it's just like this <laughs> flash in the pan era where everyone looked, you know, really beautiful, but also a bit strange because the, you know, the dresses are quite odd and just was, you know, roaming around in nature and going to hat shops and drinking tea. And you're just like, what happened to that? I <laughs> was that followed by Victorian times, which oh was so God. dark and brooding and like, yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah, there was something so elegant about it compared to like the Victorian era, which suddenly mm. becomes very industrial and dark and gloomy. It's mm. It was kind of like the last hurrah. <laughs> before we hit yeah, the industrial soft era and gentle and light colors and gold and all this kind of stuff it's so, yeah you know, yeah it is so different personally I think it is the fashion that keeps that consistency up of you know it looking quite magical and the visuals being so strong because obviously you've got the kind of nature element I think is quite a big part of both Regency and Austin and also you know the the, the sort of big country houses and the you know gilded tea rooms and all this but if they were in different clothes, it wouldn't be quite as recognisable as that time period for me. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, no, I do totally get that. And I think as well, something that I really recognise, particularly from the adaptations, is mm. they often try and reflect either their personalities mm-hmm. or um, I think in the 2009 Emma, they do a really good job of reflecting the seasons. And that's something oh, that I think, yeah. like you were saying about like nature and everything, I think... Mm. Um, I think they were kind of moving into the romantic era. I'm not sure if they were yet at it, you know, when obviously it was like um, Blake and Wordsworth and everything. Um, And I think, yeah, like you're saying, that's that connection to nature, isn't it? And Mm. um, the seasons and everything. And I think that that does show in her work a lot. And then obviously that's kind of reflected in the adaptations as well. I think Emma's actually a really good one to talk about in terms of the adaptations and the characters and, you know, what they wear because... Emma Woodhouse obviously herself is like a really great character just in and of herself <laughs> in yeah. the books, but also in all the adaptations you know she's she's so great she's just I just I love the way she's represented I don't think I'd like her in real life <laughs> she's one of those oh interesting but, yeah yeah <laughs> maybe that's just me I'm just like oh, I feel like she'd get on my nerves a little bit she's just very high-spirited and thinks she always knows right which maybe she does I don't know (laughs) but yeah maybe it'd be great to be Emma not to be Emma's friend I think so I think so but the way she's represented I think in every version it really represents her character and I think really plays on the fun of Regency um fashion I don't know if you listened to my other episode I did one on Regency um fashion but a lot of the um adaptations show very soft colors you know muslin white sort of light blues and things like that but actually when you look back at mm-hmm. fashion plates from the time period they loved like lemon yellow and bright blue and hot pink and you do forget that and I think adaptations of Emma are really good at putting Emma in the bright colors that were popular at the time and I think that is to sort of sum up her character yeah I don't know if you found that but it's always something I've really noticed and I've really appreciated it <laughs> Yeah, and you can also imagine that, uh, because obviously Emma must shop in 
in Highbury in one of the shops there where whoever the dressmaker is. Mm. And you can almost imagine that there's, there's one dress of, of the bright colours. And obviously with Emma being yeah. basically the queen of Highbury, she gets the pick of those dresses. Yeah. And everyone else seems to be in the more, you know, the, the more neutral colour palette, like you were saying. And yeah. yeah, I think it really just elevates her character, which I, it needs to happen because mm. of who she is. And I agree, it is really playful. Um, I really love how they dress her for the strawberry pickings and the adaptations because they do really play on the fact that she's going strawberry picking. She's always yeah. in these like pink colors. Then it is really playful. I agree. And that's very much her personality. She is a playful character and flirtatious. And and she probably would dress depending on where she was. She's like, well, I'm doing this. I have to wear a dress that suits what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, and, and that's really fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. I really love that about her. And I think they do a good job. Personally, I prefer the 2009 things where they use more florals and it's kind of a little bit more discreet, but yet still stands out compared to all the other characters. Um, yeah. But I knew the most recent film, she does wear some vibrant stuff. And don't get me wrong, I mean, the aesthetic is amazing. Mm. Um, sometimes I think maybe it was like too fancy, prancy for... Because um, obviously she never leaves Highbury. Like she's very much a country person, even though she has money. Yeah. Uh, she's not exposed yeah. as much. It's not like she lives in town where she's exposed to all the fancy stuff. I think that's why Mr. Mrs. Elton shakes things up so much for her. True. Though I did think that too. But then, yeah, I looked at a lot of, um, you can you can sort of find fashion plates and things like that on museum websites. And even for like country outfits, some of them are just, the, you, the, it's like Bridgerton. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> you didn't just come, you completely don't expect it, you know. And I thought, oh, well, they must have done a lot more um, research for that movie than maybe people give them credit for, you know. I th- I'm sure there's a lot of articles online about the design of the fashion. I think I read one before, but they wanted her character to be very elaborate and highly decorated because she is quite a spoiled character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's very wealthy and she wants to represent herself through her clothes. And so it is interesting to think that, oh, they must have clearly found some of these things similar to I did and went, oh, (laughs) people did wear these things. You really don't expect it. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't think that could be said for everybody. But um, I think there were people even in the country dressing in, you know, some of the just brightest... beaded shocking outfits that you can imagine with like two foot feathers on their head and stuff like this and you just think oh <laughs> can you imagine there's people out shooting and you've got these all these feathers on your hat and no. <laughs> there's people shooting pheasants down the road <laughs> yeah, no. but like you said I'm, I'm sure it was more in the towns and in the cities like bath and stuff like that where people were you know wearing the things that made them stand out more because they needed to stand out for various reasons whereas if you're you know at your home in the country you don't need to be seen in quite the same way unless there's a reason to be (laughs) no but I totally get what you're saying because I think regardless because Emma's always there she would definitely want to stand out Mm. um just to kind of you know remind everybody of her status in the town like I suppose maybe if she was in she would have been like a small fish if she'd been in London maybe but in Highbury she's definitely top dog so (laughs) and that's maybe why she doesn't want to leave yeah because she wants to be you know she wants to be seen as big fish in the small pond like you said she wants to be the what the you know the bright elaborate one that everyone thinks oh Emma she's so you know she's so gorgeous she's so fashionable (laughs) she has the best dresses the best bonnet (laughs) because if she went to Bath she'd be like I just look as good as everyone else so we can't have that (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly I get it girl after my own heart (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. It's interesting to see how all the different adaptations go about it, especially with, I feel like Emma is one of the most popular ones, but I, I actually probably is one of the most popular, isn't it? Next to Pride and Prejudice, it's probably the second one in popularity. I think, I think because of the, the most recent film, it's grown in popularity. Yeah. I think um, before it was probably Pride and Prejudice, then Sense and Sensibility, but I definitely think Emma's taken over in the past few years because that adaptation was a lot of fun i can see why people didn't like it i can you know it was a bit more silly and perhaps cartoony than other ones especially if you've got this idea of the regency era of being very muted and soft and gentle that film would have completely flipped that on its head and you would have been you know that's not your expectations of what you want from something like that which is fair (laughs) right right I think they definitely played on like the caricature but again that's still that's that's something that's very regency Mm. um I think like you said it's more of our expectation of what we want to see for regency as opposed Mm. to what the actual time period was like yeah because I, I really didn't know how fun it could be until I started to do more research because you know you've got Pride and Prejudice 2005 in your head when everything is very muted sort of brown <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. <you know>. earthy colors <laughs> like which is fine it's very natural colors but that doesn't completely represent you know how how it all would have looked but i think that is an interesting one to talk about actually we'll we'll move into that one nice and seamlessly there because it has such a strong visual identity that film i think yes absolutely and i think for a lot of people that was actually their introduction into jane austen yes i hear that all the time yeah i think it did a really good job of not upsetting the jane Knight community but mm. also welcoming new people in mm. in We've been lapsed to find something that's done that since, I would say. I think it's one of the best examples of doing that. But there are things that are, you know, it is maybe that is like the things like the muted palette and things. It's not so, I don't know, I feel like it's easy to put people off if things are too extreme. I think so. Yeah, like like something like... Whereas this is nice on the yeah, eyes. Yeah, something like Bridgerton, obviously, you know, it was um, probably the polar opposite to that. <laughs> adaptation particularly in terms of what people are wearing and you know how they show you know put themselves out to society and stuff but that really garnered a lot of it was like you know a marmite show you loved it or you hated it but I think that was because it just went there <laughs> to the extremes in all a the way. way with everything yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally. yeah. it's and almost I- like if you dip your toe in it's it's a bit it's a bit gross but if you go all out with everything and yeah. the music's a little bit modern it was just yeah that just makes it you know amazing <laughs> just accept it and just let it happen you might end up enjoying it which I did eventually <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> no worries the same yeah at first I was like mm, this isn't they're doing it all wrong this isn't Regency <laughs> and then the second season I was like mm, I really like that actually <laughs> it's quite oh my gosh it's so funny that's like the only regency thing that that my boyfriend's actually been like oh when's the next season mm. coming out I was like oh my goodness like, like obviously wow. it appeals to all <laughs> yeah yeah because it was a lot very fun whereas I can see why the 2005 Pride and Prejudice just as it's complete like complete opposite really and you know tonally how a lot of people could be like oh, that's not my thing it's slow it's a bit boring but that's similar to Bridgerton if you just let yourself be in it you will love it yeah it's definitely my quick fix for if I want to watch something Austin and I've not got hours <laughs> to yeah. spend on one of the BBC or ITV ones then mm. yeah I do love that one you know it's 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 such like a peaceful watch it's just really really nice and I really like what they do with 
Elizabeth's outfits in that one. Yeah. I think they really hone in on her love of nature. I agree. I, I, at first, I thought the costumes were like just boring. I thought, you know, they didn't put much time into this. They're too simple. But then actually, when you take the time to look at them in detail, there's actually a lot there. And they really, I think they really tried to make it as um, enjoyable to look at as possible, you know, to fit with the tone that they were going for as historically accurate and also to represent the characters. Yeah, I think I think they did a good job with that. Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of the ones that really they really thought about who the characters were and what they would wear. Like, I think you definitely see that with Elizabeth with the earthy tones and like the browns and the greens. And I think you see, I think Lydia is a really good example in that one as well of all the ribbons. And mm -hmm. um, she almost looks kind of, she's kind of a cross between a schoolgirl and kind of seductive. And it's, it's kind of a weird mix, yes. but also works for Lydia. Yeah. And especially at like the ball scenes, I think that's the times where you see it the most because Lydia you know, she's got feathers in her hair. She's got, you know, the longest gloves, like silk gloves and earrings and sort of, she looks the most, um, I don't know, adorned, I suppose. Whereas then you get someone like Mary, who even at the ball is just wearing nothing. <laughs> you know, no accessories. <laughs> yeah. Her hair's just like sort of tied up a bit, but not really in any special way. And so I think it's very subtle in that movie but if you know what to look for it's definitely there and it's just it's still very in keeping with the time period but in a way that maybe is quite different to something like Emma because a lot of people would have worn you know these are these and these girls didn't have as much money I think is also a point yeah and I think some people get kind of caught up I think they maybe made them look a little bit too poor in the 2005 ones that they, they almost look <laughs> they almost looked like they were like uh, living in the wilderness kind of like thing farmers but, yeah um, like, yeah yeah exactly girls. I think they, they maybe made them look a little bit too full but the point is I think they wanted to highlight that Elizabeth's declaration that she's equal to Mr Darcy mm. was a bold statement in the sense that yes status wise they are because she's a gentleman's daughter and he's a gentleman but at the mm. same time that that I mean that is a long scale like this you know what I mean there are there are whole opposite sides of it and yeah, yeah. yeah I think they maybe just wanted to emphasize the, the difference between the families. Because um, I mean, if you look at Caroline Bingley, what she wears, it's all very extravagant. It was all like red. I mean, not not to the extent of the 1995 version with no. her and Mrs. Hurst. I mean, oh my They God. really go for it with her, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can still see the, the difference. And I think that's maybe what they tried to pick up on in the 2005 one. Yeah, I think so. I do quite like that. I think it was a quite a smart move because it, it doesn't make them look less than. It just sort of shows a slight difference, especially when you get someone like Bingley compared to them. You suddenly realise, oh, they're, you know, they're quite different. They're, they're on the same sort of social scale, but something about their personalities are just very jarring yeah I totally agree or you can like see obviously something's gone a little bit astray yeah. and things are like obviously a little bit more dire for them now and yeah I think I also think it was probably a good move because I think if you've not read the books and you don't understand the the world in which it's set mm. I think it would be difficult to understand why there's so much controversy between like J Jane and Bingley marrying and Elizabeth and Darcy marrying. So I think they do a good yeah. job of kind of showing that there is a bit, there is differences between them. And that's why it's so talked about by everybody because it is like, ooh, the Bennett sisters, you know, they're a bit, not notorious, but, you know. Like country folk, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, yeah. Uh, the visual way of doing it was, I think that was pretty smart. <laughs> 
speaking of Pride and Prejudice, we'll jump straight back in. <laughs> I think we have to talk about uh, Mr. Darcy. I'm sure you agree. Yes, absolutely. Um, in terms of his visuals and his fashion, because I think male Regency fashion is really interesting and often gets overlooked because it also has a very strong sort of iconography to it. High-waisted, often three-quarter trousers with the long socks and the shorter jackets with the tapered backs. It's like, it's a really interesting style that you don't really see a lot. And I think the way Mr. Darcy is represented, both in the book and um, in all the different incarnations, really just represents that he is a very very upper crust kind of man you know he's from the top of society but also he is a lord he has expensive taste he's quite arrogant you know he wants to be sort of seen and not heard I think yeah like a presence in the room <laughs> yeah and he just completely exemplifies the the high class fashion of that time period and I think that's a very interesting part of his character to me because <laughs> the two feed in so nicely. Yeah, I've always been so fascinated with the male fashion in the sense is it looks so grand, but also so practical. Like they all look ready to just jump on a horse and they'll be good to go. But <laughs> yeah, but it also looks actually well, like a weird balance. <laughs> yeah, I think actually that's not massively dissimilar to what women were wearing too, because well, the dresses look a bit like I think the empire shape is a bit odd having the kind of really short bust line with the really long straight dress is yeah it is an interesting style but it also does seem kind of more comfortable than a lot of the ones before and after you know the high corseted kind of shape and because women didn't even really wear corsets in the same way because you didn't need to with that kind of dress it was kind of quite practical era really wasn't yeah, it? yeah and i guess the way that it sit as well you it's quite easy to pop an apron on because you see that a lot in sense and sensibility mm. with like eleanor popping an apron on all the time yes so i guess yeah i suppose like i mean i'm not saying because you're going to go in the kitchen but even like if you're doing like embroidery or something i'm sure you'd probably pop a apron on or something just to keep your yeah. dress from like snagging or something so and even to like do more practical stuff like outside like riding a horse and <laughs> yeah you know, all that kind of stuff yeah it's almost like they you know they wanted to look good but also they wanted things to be practical I mean that's not a bad way of looking at fashion is it no. really <laughs> pretty good in my eyes but that I think definitely with the male fashion it's sort of it is this really interesting mix of like really sort of quite cartoony in a way with the, the coats with the you know really long lapels and long backs that sometimes you know almost go to like their knees but then is you know a tailcoat kind of style but is also very practical because you can ride in them <laughs> yeah and I really think they emphasize that with Darcy as well because yeah, he's said definitely. to be really tall so I think yeah. they, they really just like push the the long coats just to kind of emphasize that a bit more like he's kind of the the person looking down on everyone. Yeah, that's very true. And also I did read that apparently really long trousers would have been quite notable in the time period because certain men would have only worn the sort of shorter knee length thing with sort of the high socks that, you know, sort of tied on to the trousers. Whereas low, you know, long trousers in high class society were seen as, you know, practical for riding and things like that, but not necessarily for high class attire. So that kind of says a little bit about his character that he is part of this upper world and wants to represent him himself that way, but also slightly scorns it maybe. <laughs> yes, that's actually such a good point he almost seems like he he likes to be fully covered up because he's mm. um I'm just going off kind of like mostly the Colin Firth adaptation but he's like all in black 
He's kind of like this dominant figure, like kind of brooding in the corner, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he is in all of them, actually. He's always wearing really dark colours, you know, either like dark blue or black. Whereas a lot of the other men in all the different adaptations wear a lot of sort of cream and yellow and colours like that, I notice a lot. Yeah, greys. I think the only one that wears kind of darker colours, but again, is much softer than Darcy. And that's more like Henry Tilney. Mm. But he, again, it's much softer. It's more like even kind of more autumn-y vibes. Um, compared to Darcy, which is it is very off-like, yes, <laughs> yeah, velvet, well, you know, things like that. That, it, yeah, I, I, I like that depiction of him actually because it's sort of got the gothicness of his character, but also makes him really like distinguishable. I think it's quite a smart choice. Yeah, I feel like it plays on like his mysteriousness that. Yeah, that he's kind of like this this character that's kind of looming over everybody, but also he's really mysterious and mm. people aren't sure where they stand with him. I mean, particularly Elizabeth, she's not... Obviously, there goes a period where she thinks that he's the villain in a sense mm. and that Wickham is this scorned man. And um, yeah. I think keeping him in these dark colours really kind of hones in on that. Is he the villain? We're not sure. And um, yeah, and actually he's just kind of a little bit awkward. And I think he wears dark colors to trying to stop people interacting with him. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of does it to push people away. But yeah, I think it, it does. It, it really emphasizes kind of the un, how unsure people are about him originally. Do you think that's where the thing tall, dark and handsome comes from? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Do you think? Is that in the book? <laughs> well, she said that he's said to be fine, a tall person, handsome features and noble. So maybe, you know, the first tall, dark and handsome was was Mr. Darcy. I'm going to say that it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we, we're coining it right there. <laughs> yeah. But you did mention Wickham and he's also a really interesting one to me because I think his first impressions are quite interesting because they you know they talk about he's very distinguished he's a very handsome man and they instantly like him and I do think that is partly what he wears because he's never really not seen in his uniform right right it's as if um his uniform kind of uh, commands an element of trust Mm. in a sense um although he is in the militia and I did read somewhere that apparently the militia it was kind of like the ruffians tended to end up in there but I think you know in general just wearing a uniform did you know people would just you admired you and they thought wow look at that red coat and everything and it's red as well the bright red coat with the sort of you know with the white um paneling and the gold buttons it's just the polar opposite to someone like Darcy (laughs) yeah and to be it's funny though because should he be in his regiment he would have blended in yeah. but then when you juxtapose him against Darcy and the the gentleman of the town mm. he really does stand out mm. and he, he looks more approachable even though he is in a uniform yeah I think he is an interesting character because actually for him and Darcy the way they dress is actually the polar opposite of what they actually are yes you know and I think that partly maybe is why Wickham stays in his militia uniform and dresses in a certain way because he's quite a manipulative character and that is part of his manipulation you know it's his way of making people trust him before they've even spoken to him and you know making them have opinions about him before they've heard all of these things that you know he claims are not true I think that's quite interesting yeah absolutely and it kind of reminds me um, I've recently been doing episodes where I compare 
um, Disney villains to Austin villains. Uh, yeah, 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 I saw. <laughs> that, that kind of, yeah, that kind of theme of having a villain who kind of looks more approachable and then the hero looking kind of more brooding and dark and mm. um, kind of more frightful um, is obviously being carried on like across fiction, mm. across, you know, media. Um, so I really think that, you know, Austin was so clever in, in kind of using fashion mm in clothing and how she chose to dress people um, to kind of reflect or, or not reflect their true characters, but for it to be more of a shock to us. So it obviously wasn't a second thought for her. It's obviously something that she was conscious about. Yeah. And I definitely think obviously living in an era where you are very much defined by what you wear and how you present yourself far more than we do today. Like, I just don't think we even understand how, <laughs> you know, how huge a part of society that was. I think she would maybe even do it without even realizing it was just a, it was just how you lived your life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, yeah. So, so, so that's what I mean. It's so difficult to think about though, isn't it? Because we live in such a different time now, and I mean, I don't know what the Wickham Darcy equivalent would be in today's fashion sense. You guys are like made in Chelsea or something like that, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you can always just tell when they're a bit more posh. You know, <laughs> you don't know what it is, but you can just tell. Yeah. <laughs> You can just, yeah, tell, you just get that sense. Like that. <laughs> but I do think that's interesting. And I suppose her living in Bath for a long time probably played a really big part in that. Was she living in Bath after she write, wrote Pride and Prejudice or is there a crossover there? Oh, that is a good question. I can't remember. I went to Bath recently and I went to the Jane Austen Museum. <laughs> it was very fun. Yeah. It was kind of early on, I think. I think it was just after she finished her education that she went mm. to Bath. I mean, don't quote me on this. I'm, I'm, I'm te- like I said, I'm terrible with mem- remembering facts and stuff. But, um, and it was early on that she wrote, well, started writing at least Pride and Prejudice, then called First Impressions. But uh, yeah, I think maybe it would have been a crossover period. Obviously, the fact that she moved from a couple of different places, I think maybe Bath did have a massive influence on her because that was probably the most, like the biggest location that she lived for yeah. the longest time. So, and obviously Bath, there was loads of stuff going on back then. It was kind of second to London, second yeah. to London wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely like the party capital. Yeah, absolutely. So I can imagine that was definitely a place where she got a lot of inspiration from people and was exposed to stuff that maybe she hadn't been before kind of growing up in a in a parish um in the countryside i've got it here she lived in bath from 1801 to 1806 so that's a bit later than when she started it but literally not by much at all yeah i think she may have even started it in 17 something so yeah i I think maybe it would have been a kind of close maybe she'd started it just before but she may have even still been writing by the time she gone to bath that might have even um you know, inspired some of the choices she made in the novel. Because it was published in 1812, something like that, right? Around that time period. So it was published afterwards. Uh, yeah, I think 1813 mm. it was published. Um, but she was, I'm trying to remember when she started writing it. I want to say 1797. Like it was literally really close time period to that, what you were saying that she was living in Bath. So if she started writing it in 1897, 1898, say, I mean, 1798, um, mm. 1797, then it's likely she was still writing it when she moved to Bath. So maybe, maybe, yeah, that did impact then how she changed some of the aspects of the characters or maybe it influenced more. Uh, but I think you can see she like the stuff that she started to write after things like Emma 
you can see more of an influence, I think, of, of fashion and stuff. And definitely Northanger Abbey, obviously that being set in Bath, like I feel like it's a book that's very obsessed with status and people being quite shallow and, you know, being coded by what they're wearing. I don't know if that's maybe just my interpretation of it, but, you know, the main character in that comes to Bath and just this whole new way of being put into a box depending on how you present yourself. So that might have definitely been <laughs> inspired by that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think she may have even, I think she started writing that before, just slightly before Pride and Prejudice as well. So there's definitely probably, I mean, I reckon that book probably changed so much after she moved to Bath mm. and had more of the influence there. Mm. I mean, obviously most of her books go, go through some sort of um, transition because most of them change the names <laughs> from what they were initially called. So, Well, they all do. And it took so long to write a book. It's not like now. <laughs> you didn't have word. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly. No, exactly. She's not like Stephen King, just like writing out a chapter a day. She, she's, um, you know, would have taken a while. Yeah. <laughs> and editing would have years taken ages. Yeah. yeah. And especially as a woman of her status, I'm sure she had to do a lot of it in secret before she became, you know, known as a writer. So you just probably snatch times when you can. Yeah, I think she was quite private about it. When I went to the Jane Austen house, um, her writing table was really small and she used to kind of, they said that she liked the kind of wrote stuff and then just like hid it away and stuff. I mean, I can't even imagine. I can't find notes that I write. If I put them somewhere, that's it, they're gone. Do you know what I mean? I was going to find them. Can you imagine if I had like chapters of a book hidden around places? Like, no. It will never be finished. It wouldn't <laughs> ever be finished. <laughs> it would just, no. It would never I happen. honestly do not know how people wrote books before computers. Like, even a typewriter, I can't even fathom it. Literally, honestly, it's quite, quite amazing. Even essays at school, like, how do you do it? I just would have failed everything. I, <laughs> so it's, it's I guess wild. you don't know any different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's the thing. It would have been what you knew, exactly. I think to round off, we have to talk about persuasion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because... The different version of, versions of persuasion are very interesting. Obviously, we haven't talked about every single Austen novel because, you know, we just cherry-picked the best ones. But I think the new persuasion, particularly in terms of fashion, was... Um, I don't know if you found this, but in a kind of fashion history uh, vintage community, it was quite controversial. I can imagine. I mean, it was controversial in many ways, so I can imagine they didn't stop with the fashion. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> Now, I actually, I went into that thinking I was really going to dislike it because I'd read that it was bad. Um, and actually, I ended up quite liking it just because I looked at it like Bridget Jones or something. I completely separated it from the regency-ness of it. And I, and I was like, right, this is just an easy... <laughs> an easy rom-com. Yeah. And then I was like, I, actually, I like it now. Okay. But I did have to completely shift my view on it, particularly in terms of the fashion, because I didn't really can't say I was a big fan of <laughs> a lot of yeah that. it was weird there were some outfits that I really liked and I thought if they'd been chopped above the knee I totally would have worn them but there's there was um there was some things that they added that I was just so it was just too much you know it was just like added things I think there was a part where she was wearing kind of like a choker like listen for me I was just like that was just like too much because the outfit was already quite a lot yeah in that sometimes she wore a hat with an outfit that I was like wow that outfit was already quite extreme like the hat was a bit too much on top I was of it really all. yeah I was 
like really conflicted about it because like you said there were some outfits which I really liked I can't remember her name but the woman with the ginger hair that's sort of vying for her dad's attentions right at the beginning oh I do know exactly who you're on about the one that ends up with um, Mr Elliot at the end yes. but she's after the vicar's daughter what's his name oh what's her name oh. I can't remember <laughs> it's completely gone I can't remember either it's completely gone from me I really liked her fashion I think she looked really cool she looked really over the top and sometimes maybe a little bit too Victorian but she was a slightly curvier woman so I think that it's sort of naturally going to happen if you're wearing you know a dress like that but I did actually really like her fashion and I think it did represent her character pretty well because she just looked so over the top compared to everyone else whenever she was in a scene <laughs> I agree I feel like she it really played on the fact that she was trying so hard yeah like that desperate <laughs> I think her name is Mrs Clay I think or Miss Clay or I think I, I think that was her That's name it, yeah, yeah. It must be, yeah. Gosh, she's such like, it's, it's weird though, isn't it? Because she's such like a, a sideline character. But you're right. I think they really did emphasize that she was really trying to be noticed yeah. uh, with the way that they dressed her. It was quite, it was quite in your she face. She was really someone I noticed because, you know, as I do, whenever I watch a film like this, the clothes are the, one of the things I noticed. And I just, it's just how <laughs> my brain works, I suppose. Yeah, I know. I can imagine. Yeah, because that's what you're, you know, you specialize in. Yeah, exactly. And it, it something is ruined for me if it's not right. It's really silly, but it's just the way it is. And she was someone that I, I picked up on and I was like, oh, she looks actually quite cool. Like, I'm I'm a fan of what they did with her. But then Anne, obviously the main character, there was just something wrong about her, <laughs> the way she looked. Not, not in terms of her, but just the way she was styled. Just, I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I think it might have been her hair. It was not stylized enough. It was, yeah. It was always straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's really interesting as well is that, that didn't stop with the fashion. It was kind of her entire personality was incredibly different to who she is in the book. Mm -hmm. And I think they tried to match the fashion to this new personality they created. Yeah. But the personality didn't really fit into the world that they'd put her in. And neither yeah. did the fashion then, if that makes sense. It was kind of all like a bit of a clash. Yeah. And um, that's the kind of vibe I felt. She was always wearing really dark stuff. And, and I do kind of sense that with Anne, maybe just wearing more muted colours. But she almost looked like she was always in mourning. Like, <laughs> kind of depressing. Yeah. I, I didn't really understand what they were trying to do with her character. Because on the one hand, you had someone like her sister who you know her older sister not the one who's always pretending to be sick <laughs> oh yeah elizabeth the older one yeah <laughs> elizabeth yeah but she obviously is meant to be a bit of a one and the way they designed her costume is perfect for that you know especially the scene where she's putting the feather in her hair and you just think you don't need that <laughs> yeah you know and and everything was a lot yeah for her. yeah and it's just like that added thing <laughs> that made sense and then they were trying to put Anne as on one hand a very you know soft gentle sensible sort of capable middle daughter character mm. but then some but then she was always you know drinking from a bottle of wine and being quite like outspoken and I really didn't understand what they wanted from that character and I think that's why her costuming was a bit confused maybe that's just my interpretation of it but no I think that makes a lot of sense because I do think her character was confused it didn't match Anne of the book but then didn't quite match something new either so it was it was I I, I agree I think maybe that is then reflected mm. into the clothing where she's almost she's got these high neck dresses but then there's other elements of the dress that are kind of 
more revealing if that makes sense and it's kind of strange or she's got this massive hat on which draws so much attention to her face yeah and and she doesn't wear enough jackets no (laughs) no you know the small little um jackets that they used you know they would have worn in the regency era are such a huge part of the costume and they kind of made these dresses that was like a combination of it with the it was like a dress and jacket in one (laughs) i can understand what they were trying but i just don't know if it I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's almost your worst nightmare when you go to the shop and you see this jumper and you're like, oh, I really love that jumper. But then there's a shirt sewn into yeah. it and you're like, I don't quite like the shirt. So <laughs> you've got to go for both because it's attached. Yeah. I mean, there's a really interesting article on Vogue about um, the fashion designer. It's an interview from the fashion designer of this version of Persuasion. Oh. It's quite long, but it's really interesting. And she says like she she wanted to get inspiration from rock chicks of the 80s to 60s classics which i don't really think that's really wow i don't know what (laughs) yeah that is that is really wild my gosh it's interesting because i kind of see there's something that's saying something here about how a lot of the other characters are very very feminine and wear very sort of feminine outfits you know light colors and lace and things like that and so they wanted Anne to be quite different from that from wearing much more structured darker colored clothes which i can see that but I also don't know if it represents what her character is at its core. No, no, I don't think so either. I, for me, was Anne wasn't quite right for me in that in this adaptation at mm. all. Yeah, it didn't sit well with me. I think I, I think what's sad as well. I think they did, like you said, they had some other good costume choices. Like I really liked the way Lady Russell was dressed a lot of the time. Uh, her outfits, the one where she's at the picnic. That that whole scene just looks so pretty. Yes. Yeah. And I think how like you said, like Mrs. Clay, it's almost like they focused on the they, they got the kind of the the more minor characters right. Mm. And then obviously it kind of missed the mark with the main character. I think they put her in a lot of blue as well. And I don't know whether that was because Wentworth's in the Navy and they were trying to get this like sea vibe. Yeah. Well, I was like, is that not just too flashy? I really liked the way Wentworth was dressed. I thought his costuming was really good. His outfits look like they've been taken out of, you know, fashion palettes of the time. I appreciated him. So then so then I think having her next to him and her being very, very ahistorical was was an odd combination as well. I don't know. There was just something a bit jarring <laughs> a bit off about it the only thing that bothered me a little bit about Wentworth is he looked so rustic all the time True. and obviously if he was in like the the navy like you you look quite smart when you're in the military and I feel like I know he's been at sea so maybe he does look a little bit more rustic but I would have thought being a captain yeah even when you're in like your casual clothing you'd still be quite put together where he always had like his shirt hanging out and he you just know always his... sort of looked a bit like he's just like rolled down a hill or something and just come back you know like he just always yeah, looked a bit like messy his, yeah, he's just rolled out <laughs> of bed yeah he's just got back from a rough night out or something like it yeah and you're like Wentworth are you okay <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> didn't look quite put together but I do I think, all right yeah I think they got the colours better for him like they were really they again like earthy colors in the blues I think yeah. made sense for him because I think that reflects kind of what his color palette would be as a person <laughs> he does then contrast quite a lot to a lot of the other men in the blue because a lot of the other men in that film didn't really wear that kind of bright blue so I think that was quite a smart choice but you're right he did always look a bit messy <laughs> and he hasn't in other versions no no 
And I think they did a good job of Mr. Elliot because I think he looked really like kind of villainous. And he, obviously he, is, he did. It was, it was very open about the fact that he's a villain. Yeah, but, I quite like his character. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, of, but I'm like, yeah, you know who you are. <laughs> they made him so like likable in this one. I don't even know why. Honestly, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of really drawn in. I know. That was the problem. I was like, I know I'm not supposed to like you. And in every other version, I haven't. But in this one, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drawn in by you. But I kind of like that they put him in like, he always looks so formal and put together and a bit pompous, but it wasn't um, in the sense that so Walter Elliott was. It was kind of more of a sophisticated mm. look. And he always has his top hat and a cane. I really appreciate that he always had a cane because that was a big thing for men. A cane was like, you know how women always wore gloves. A man would often in this time period have a cane. It was like quite a big part of the general outfit. So oh. I think that kind of solidifies him as you know, quite a well-to-do fashionable man who like, I think that was a pretty smart choice. That's so interesting because they don't often add that in, do they? So that was, that's no. interesting that they chose to do that with him. And I think he's a good choice to do that because like you said, he's kind of this put together man in calculated. And I think, yeah, I think his outfit choice is really really mirrored who he is yeah, I did I also like the top hat too because it kind of always made him a bit taller than every other man <laughs> yes yeah there's like a really good scene when he's kind of facing off to Wentworth on the cliffside and he looks kind of like um like he's kind of looking yeah they're kind of facing off but Mr Elliot with that bit of extra height on his top hat I think it probably makes him feel a bit more powerful I think so yeah yeah I, I did appreciate that as well I, I did like that. I did like the movie. I did like enjoy it while I was watching it. And if I think about it too much, I start to dislike it. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those you have to like on a surface level. Mm -hmm. But I do think it was also her hair really bothered me. Yeah, it was a bit flat, I think. Is the... It was just always so flat. And you people would have had their worn their hair down and worn it straight, but it would have been different. Like if you wore your hair down and straight like that, you would have probably worn a bonnet or something else in it but on the whole people curled their hair you know it was you didn't wash your hair you didn't wear it straight <laughs> and most people would have slept in like either with like ribbons curling your hair or you know I think that's how most people did I'm not sure I I, I think it's like they, yeah they stripped ribbon pieces and tied their hair so it curled it and yeah I mean, that's, I think, because obviously when you're wearing your hair up, it was probably easier to do an updo if you kind of had these ringlets that they could place as opposed to just kind of a, your whole head of hair yeah, was just yeah. falling down. Whereas, yeah, she did kind of look like uh, nobody was looking after her hair. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. The hair always bothers me because it's really the thing that solidifies a time period a lot. You know, like 50s hair, for example, is really recognizable the same can be said with regency hair it's got a really distinct style especially all those tiny little weird ringlets that just like frame your face in a circle <laughs> you know that <laughs> it's really interesting I, I agree and I think the fact that they chose not to constantly put her in a bonnet and they use different styles hats I think they really should have focused on her hair more because we saw so much of it like usually it's kind of hidden in a bonnet and you don't see that much of it so it, it doesn't you don't have that much focus on it but because we saw so much of her hair I get why it's kind of a focus for you because it was everywhere yeah and if she's meant to be like the sensible middle sister she would want to keep up the the, the pretense of how she looks you know and be as neat and sensible looking as possible so it just kind of felt quite jarring to how she is in the books to me oh my gosh 100% Anne in the books would have had very you know she has 
she's just neat and tidy. Do you know what I mean? She's not somebody who draws attention to herself, no. but she's not, she's incredibly intelligent and thoughtful. And yeah, I think they kind of miss the mark with her in this, in this. Ad- she's not a messy character. No. And I think you could have had some really fun scenes because people used to um, use like hot irons. You'd put the hot iron in the fire and then you'd curl your hair. That was how they got a lot of the ringlets. No. I think you could have had some really fun scenes of her doing her hair, <laughs> you know, like modern. They wanted to make it modern. Yes. I think they missed the, the, a trick with doing that because that would have been quite fun right I think they tried to pull too much of modern humor forgetting that Regency actually was a time of loads of humor like I was saying yeah. it's like the time when caricatures were created and mm. you know satirizing politics was very much that time and it was quite a modern time period really yeah it was it, absolutely I don't think they needed to pull so much of our time to make it entertaining yeah I think there's very much elements of Regency here that's not been touched on that is entertaining which Emma the Emma movie did do well. You know, the part when she's like warming her bum in the fire. Yeah, it's stuff that's funny but accurate. It was very in keeping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which which was fun. But anyway, we'll stop bashing persuasion now. Everyone will think this is all I do. I jump on different podcasts to bash the persuasion. I saw the goods in it like, as well. Hey, do you hate persuasion? Me too. Oh my goodness. That's not what I'm there for. I believe you don't worry. It's <laughs> being critical or when you have an interest in something, you can't help but be a bit critical. And, you know, you do notice things that other people wouldn't notice. So Yeah, I think so. And we've got so many representations of when it's done well. I think that it's difficult then when it's not. Yeah, that's really true. Like... There's definitely some time periods where you don't get a great deal represented of it. You know, there's not as much source material or, you know, things like that. And so you kind of just take what you can get and you're a bit less um, <laughs> fussy about it. But I definitely think Regency and Austin particularly is one of those ones where there is so much source material. It's such a great visual era. There's so many other good versions of it. If you do one that misses the mark, it's just you'll know it, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it just stands out massively. There's so many prying eyes on this kind of, on like Regency mm. work, but I think that's that totally goes full circle to what you were saying right at the start of the mm. episode, that it's such a, a notable period. Like people can distinguish it from the fashion. Mm. So I think like if they do get certain things wrong or they decide to change it, really that in itself can be a big mistake because... People are really drawn yeah. to the how different it looks. I also don't think people quite would realise how much the fashion represents the era and that's probably a lot of what they like in it. I think, you know, it's a lot of, yeah. you know, the vibe and the, the energy of it and a lot of that is because of the fashion, you know. it, it That's what solidifies it as Regency and I do think you have to get that right to then get all the other elements right. And maybe that's me just being biased towards <laughs> fashion history. I don't know. But that's how I see it, at least. I don't know. I mean, after this conversation, I'm starting to think like maybe subconsciously it is something that's always drawn me back to it. I've just never realised. It isn't like any other time period, you know. Yeah. There's there's so much, it's so visual and the colours are so, re- you know, recognisable. And there's just something about the fashion of that era that you just know Regency straight away. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, I think I think you I think you've convinced me. I feel it. Now I'm going to be like Oh no. <laughs> You're going to watch all these movies differently now. <laughs> I've ruined it. I, you know, I'm going to be <laughs> looking out for the fashion. It will be interesting now if you go back and read the books. I know. Um, I know. And if there's any, you know, mentions of fashion or the way people are dressed or their first impressions that you now look at maybe with a different 
eye that you weren't looking at before that would be interesting to see i i definitely will and i'm, I'm gonna be sending you messages well you know that's what i want for my podcast to people just just kind of take a look at the fashion and you know it's not just a silly frivolous thing there's a lot to it to be unpicked right right it's definitely a conscious choice and it's yeah you've got to get right I hope you all had fun listening to that. It was really fun to <laughs> record. I love talking to people about very niche interests that we have. It's nice to know that there's a little shared community out there. Izzy has the nicest voice ever to listen to, so I completely understand why she does a podcast. I hope you learned a little bit from this. I found it really interesting, really interesting to talk to someone who knows a lot more about Austin, particularly the books, than I do. So that was really, really fun. As I said right at the beginning of this, do head over to both of our Instagrams to have a look at some of the things we might share over there. It's at Sidwet Podcast and at What The Austin and also listen to Izzy's podcast What The Austin Podcast it's available everywhere I think so do head over and listen to that if you like this episode as much as I did because you will love her podcast as well as always everybody thank you so much for listening stay fab everyone and I will see you in the next one bye